Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut, and I went keto in 2016 to reverse my diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh, and bacon. And I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We are definitely not doctors. And we don't give medical advice. Right. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and bacon. Yeah, there's always bacon. We share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. Because this is a science-based show. Carl brings the body science and I bring the food science. So let's start podcast 153, catching up with Richard Morris. Richard Morris! Yay! But Carl, before we go talk to Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? That was 152, Yogi Parker, the keto trucker. And no, um, we got no negative feedback. We got no corrections. Uh, There wasn't a whole lot of science. There was a lot of practical applications uh, of the keto diet. And I really appreciated Yogi's ingenuity. What a fantastic show that was. And we've had a lot. There's been lots of yogi love all over social media this last week. So go yogi. Right. Now, before we start, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day have a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. Fat? Really? Fat. Yes. And if you're just starting, listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com. So what's been new with you this week, Carl? Uh, Well, I... Put on the books a meetup, which is going to be actually another keto mini fest at my house, February 9th. And this time it's going to be tapas. Oh, that's right. And I'm going to be making dessert tapas. There's going to be, oh, I don't know, three or four or maybe five mini desserts from me to enjoy. You know, I thought about this. I was watching uh, a show on the Food Network where they were making profiteroles, um, cream puffs. Mm-hmm. And I tried doing a keto version of a cream puff once, and it was a miserable failure. Not the cream, pastry cream, because that's easy to approximate. But the, the pastry? The pastry. Have you done that? I, I, I haven't, but I think there may be an emotional thing behind that, because in, in my former life, shoe pastry, which is the proper term for the pastry that profiteroles are made with, mm-hmm. shoe pastry was the best thing I did. That was my favorite favorite thing to do and it was 
just the best thing I did. The things that I created with Shoe Pastry were always my finest moments. So I think emotionally, I like want to live the the dream of still being the queen of the shoe pastry world and to yeah. have a bunch of fails trying to get there on, on keto. So, but I do need to do well, that. Well, let's try it. I'd, I'd like to make a Saturday morning out of that <laughs> if we could figure something out. Oh, it, it'll take a lot more than one Saturday morning, let me tell right. you. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so there's going to be two special guests at this keto mini fest, which is going to be at my house in New London, Connecticut. Um, we're going to call in cardiologist Dr. Nadir Ali. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the inimitable Dave Feldman. And of <gasps> course, the. Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave. So the topic, of course, is saturated fats, cholesterol, heart disease, all of that stuff. And I figured while we're pouring brandy sauce on our flank steak, you know, we should probably have a cardiologist on there to tell us we're not going to die. That's so fantastic. That's- I'm super excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. And it's right before Valentine's Day, too. So um, mm-hmm. you could uh, make this a, a pre-Valentine's Day date with your special someone. Absolutely. So the dishes that I plan on making are the deep-fried chicken skin chorizo rolls, which I've made before. Um, these are – you you put uh, chorizo mince inside a chicken skin and wrap it and tie it up and then deep-fry it, and it's delicious. And then also – uh, tapas meatballs, which I've talked about on the show before. And there's also um, a local tapas restaurant here in New London called Deb's. And I'm doing two from them, which is uh, garlic shrimp, basically shrimp sautéed in butter with chunks of garlic that have been a little caramelized. And a, a flank steak, sliced on the bias, of course, with uh, Barcelona sauce, which is that's made from blue cheese and brandy. It's going to be great. Wow. And I, I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet, but there are. there's going to be three or four or five mini little bite-sized desserts from me. So, And I might not decide what they are until like a couple of days before. Awesome. See what, see what inspiration hits me. Yeah. I'm also going to slow roast a leg of lamb and uh, pull that apart with tomatoes, olives, and garlic. So a lot of tasty things. And also we're going to get some Spanish Rioja wine to go with it. So ole. It's going to be fantastic. Ole. (laughs) That's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Well, I have been working on a super secret project with the lovely Kim Howerton, otherwise known as the Ketonist. Mm. So that's taken up most of my week. Um, but I did also record with a gentleman called Rob Saunders, who is starting a keto podcast based in the UK. So Rob is actually a Welshman, ah. uh, but he sounds like a Scouser, so someone from who comes from up north. Okay. And we had a great discussion about keto and mental health. Um, And that'll be one, I think, the second episode on his new podcast when it launches. So Mm -hmm. that was super cool. Uh, Keto is definitely spreading. and But they don't have a lot of podcasts in the UK that are kind of UK-focused. Of course, they have all these American ones. Um, So that was super exciting to hear that that Rob and his crew are – 
uh, getting podcasts with a UK focus up and running over there. So that was super cool. And it was also, I was very honored to uh, have Rob invite me on his show. He's a big fan of our show. So excellent. That was, that was the highlight of my week. Oh, that's great. Hey, it's time to give away some swag. So we're going to give away two Keto Dudes coffee mug to a lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And Carrie, the new mugs have your mug on them, not Richard's. So anyone who has an old mug has a collector's item. Um, so tell us, Carl, who is today's winner? Today's winner is Shiloh Caseras. Yay, Shiloh! Yay! And uh, Shiloh just won a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug just for being a member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club, which you can get to at fanclub.twoketo.com. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.twoketo.com. All right, well, now it's time to read the mail! 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 The post. The post. Read the post. Let's, do we have any letters, Carl? (laughs) Read the post while I eat the toast. No, don't eat the toast. Don't eat the toast. Yes, I have a letter, and this is from Miss E on the forum, and I specifically picked it because uh, I think you are the one to answer it. Uh-oh. Miss E says, the disclaimer here is that I understand any opinion is just that, and anecdotal. I have been on antidepressants for three years since my father passed away. While my grief was the primary reason for them, Shortly after that, I had a long overdue ADHD diagnosis, and surprisingly, that discovery and the roller coaster since did nothing to improve my depression. What scares me about depression, especially mixed with comorbid conditions, is so unpredictable, so while there can be good days or weeks, it constantly feels like you can't be too sure and are waiting for the other shoe to drop. The reason I'm posting this here is because I have glimmers within keto of feeling like I may not need my medication, and I know many people who have done keto longer than me, and they've eventually reduced or stopped their medication. So my question is, how did you know it was the right time? Well, I didn't know it was the right time, and I would have to say that two things. One, Only stop your medication under medical supervision. Agree. Absolutely. Only do it with the help of a doctor. Um, Preferably someone who knows you and knows your history and someone who is going to be available if things go sideways. Mm. And two, I I think, and, and this speaks to your waiting for the other shoe to drop, I don't think I on my own would ever have known it was the right time because the feeling of terror, and I don't use that word lightly or dramatically, but the feeling of terror of what might happen to my brain if I stopped my medication and it wasn't the right time was big enough for me to not stop my medication. It was actually, so I was working with Dr. Ted Naiman and it was actually Dr. Naiman that said, you know what, you can come off your your medication. And I actually was too scared. And he said, you can come off cold turkey. And I'm like, 
I, emotionally, I can't do that. So mm. he said, okay, then we'll, we'll do it in baby steps. So we kind of half-lived it. it. We, we took it down to half a dose and waited to see if the other shoe dropped and it didn't. So then we took it down to half and then we took it down to half and then we, we took me off it. So mm. for emotionally, that was the way that I found I was able to do it with, with the, the fear didn't, you know, engulf me. But I would never recommend coming off your medication without um, the help of a doctor. Right. And as I say, pr preferably one who knows you and who is on the end of the phone if something goes sideways. And uh, how long did it take you? It took six weeks, which was way shorter than I thought it would. And a good point to remind everybody that everybody is an individual. Right. My story will not work the same for anybody else. Uh, one of my very good friends, um, it took her, I want to say, nine months before she got off her medication. So, mm. you know, the difference between six weeks and nine months is a lot. So I wouldn't use my six weeks as a yardstick for, yeah. for what's going to happen with you. Thank you for answering that, Carrie. I know it's been a while since we sort of talked about depression, bipolar, and all that stuff, and I uh, wanted to make sure that those questions get answered. And if you have any questions for us, you can send them to us by email at dudes at twoketodudes.com, or just leave a message on the forum. Uh, you can direct message us there. Or, you know, just post it on the forum because it's a great place to get answers, not just from us, but from everybody. And the only mail I've had this last week has been um, We Love Yogi Mail. Yeah. There's been all over social media. There's just been an outpouring of love and support and cheering for our favorite keto trucker, Yogi Parker. Absolutely. So it was really cool to see how many people were so inspired and so motivated to try new things after Yogi came and, and shared his roadside tips and tricks with us. So yep. go, Yogi. Go, Yogi. And we would love to see your efforts in the Keto on the Road department since hearing Yogi's uh, chat with us. Yep. Well, look who's on the line. It's our old friend, Richard Morris. Hey, Richard. Richard Morris. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, man? Good, good. It's hot. It's yeah. very hot. Summertime. It's so hot that in Australia that the asphalt is melting. What'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> the asphalt chaps. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so let's what, not go there. Let's if, not go back to the chaps again. All right. Well, it's been a few weeks since we talked to you. How are you doing? What's new? Mm -hmm. Good. I'm getting ready for school this year. I'm doing so many subjects. Uh, that I'm essentially doing two years in 18 months or even less. Wow. So I'm compressing everything to get it all done as quickly as I can. I'm doing revision of the stuff I did last year so that um, I'm on top of all of that uh, so that I'm going to be prepared for it. Yep. Um, the other thing I'm doing is I'm working on some videos. I think I told you about those uh, last year, late last year. You have. And said towards the end of January, I hope to have some of those ready. Um, it's the end of January and I haven't got them ready yet, but maybe maybe in a month's time I'll have some of those ready to go. But the first one I want to do, well, I've actually 
done the script for it and done some of the recording, but I just haven't done all the editing. Is uh, is um, this idea that saturated fat causes cardiovascular disease? Right. And so that's the first one. The diet heart hypothesis. Yes, essentially, and talking about Ansel Keys, and not so much that he about his cherry picking, which everyone talks about his cherry picking, but the actual the actual data that he was actually using, and then studies that he has done since, and other people have done since, to look into this question of you know if we modify the amount of saturated fat somebody gets, can we modify their LDL cholesterol, and can that therefore modify their cardiovascular risk? Um, and you know there are studies that show that if we eat more saturated fat, our LDL goes up. But there are also studies that show that when our LDL goes up, our cardiovascular risk goes up. And so if the first LDL is the same as the second LDL, uh, then you can sort of combine the two together and say when you eat saturated fat, you get cardiovascular disease risk increasing. But there are also studies that show uh, people get cardiovascular disease when their LDL is low, right? Well, that's a different thing. When you test a biomarker like LDL cholesterol, you have to make sure that you're measuring the same thing. Mm. Because if you then go and test the end point, so, okay, if we give people saturated fat or we measure how much saturated fat they're eating and we measure how much cardiovascular risk they have, if the marker was accurate, then the more saturated fat they eat, the higher their heart disease and stroke risk is. Well, it turns out that there's when we've actually gone and studied this, there was a study recently called the Pure Study which looked into this. When it actually looked at people who ate more saturated fat, there, there was absolutely no association with heart disease and a negative correlation with stroke. Right. So the more saturated fat they ate, the less stroke they had. Yeah. Interesting. So what this shows you is that the LDL that you're measuring when people eat more saturated fat is a different thing than the LDL that people are measuring when they're looking at cardiovascular disease. And so we have to make sure that we're talking about the same LDL, and that's that's really what the problem is. So the, the, the idea is to explain that to people, explain this whole concept of uh, unreliable biomarkers. Interesting. I think it's great that you're doing this work, and uh, <laughs> you, you must you. be really excited. So you're in the research phase right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a lot of work. I mean, when we do a podcast, we put about uh, you do you you spend about five hours on the actual editing of the of the podcast and making sure that all the pieces are in place, and I spend about five hours on just researching stuff. So for a podcast, you got to do some research into what we're talking about, but you know it's it's minimal. But for one of these videos, these videos are only going to be five to ten minutes long, mm. but they take fifteen to twenty hours worth of research just to make sure that all of the papers say what. I think they say. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, what I'm really doing is looking at some of the world's greatest scientists and finding flaws in what they're doing. So it's, it's really challenging. And fun. <laughs> yeah, if I, if I manage to succeed, it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> so, Richard, what else are you working on? What other science are you trying to debunk for us? Well, something actually not so much debunking, but uh, something that I – uh, I saw from Nina Teichold's Nutrition Coalition recently. Uh, she was um, basically sent out this email to everybody, and uh, I saw it on the Keto Woman podcast. Uh, this is a request to uh, for Americans um, to contact Secretary Purdue, yes. uh, asking for 
uh, his leadership, which is urgently needed on the advisory committee for the next dietary guidelines. Now, every five years, we the USDA uh, looks at uh, our dietary guidelines to see if they should change. And the last time uh, was uh, four and a half years ago. And at that point, they decided that uh, cholesterol, dietary cholesterol, was no longer a nutrient of concern. Didn't matter how much you ate, um, your body still maintained the the, the amount that it right. was going to maintain. So, and that um, was their exact words: "It's no longer a nutrient of concern." Right, and yeah. and we thought that saturated fat would uh, eventually make it into that that state, but of course, the the panel is stacked with vegans, and mm. uh, there is a certain um, uh, groupthink involved with building dietary guidelines. And uh, the Nutrition Coalition proposed uh, some people like Sarah Hulberg for this panel, some people who had understood um, that it's possible to formulate uh, a well-formulated ketogenic diet that's extremely helpful um, and and to have this factor into um, the dietary guidelines for America. And if the dietary guidelines for America change and the dietary guidelines for the rest of the English-speaking world will change. So this is a very important job that right. Nina and Nina Teicholz and the Nutrition Coalition are, are engaged in. And uh, one of their, one of their um, uh, people that they put forward who they believed was extremely qualified was a gentleman by the name of John Ioannidis. Now, I've actually heard this guy present live in uh, Zurich last year, and uh, this guy is brilliant. He he basically tore Walter Willett a new one. <laughs> Walter Willett was oh. in the front row and literally tore into the guy and said, look, here's, here's how bad food, food frequency questionnaires are. Here is the state of the science that this is producing, um, and we're basing our guidelines on it, and the entire nation and the rest of the world is following us, is getting fatter and fatter, trying as hard as they can to follow this uh, dietary guidelines advice. Um, so anyway, long story short, Nina uh, Teicholz, um, believed that John Ioannidis was uh, not only eminently qualified, everyone agrees he's eminently qualified, he's a, he's a genius, but um, that he was willing to do it and his candidacy, his application was quote-unquote lost. So oh, wow. um, so basically this is a letter-writing campaign to your Congress critter or at least to um, to your Congress critter and or to the Secretary of this uh of this uh, um, committee to um, it, when the government reopens, if it ever reopens, mm. um, to um, get uh, some uh, saner minds on the uh, on the uh, nutrient advisory panel. Editor's note: the government actually reopened between the time we recorded this and the time it was published. That's what you get. We'll we'll put the the link in the show notes there so that you all can can go see the detail of what Richard's sharing. Yeah, please, if you're American, write a, write an email. Send an email. All the details are there. Um, you know, write it in your own words or use their words. But um, we need a letter-writing campaign because uh, if we don't get this, at least one person on the committee who is able to say, wait a minute, um, what's with all of the high-carbohydrate uh, uh, dietary requirements, mm. what will happen is for the next five years, type 2 diabetics will be told they must eat a high-carbohydrate diet. Just like they do now. I wrote my letter, and also it's good to note that you might miss this if you just copy and paste. There's a section in that letter where Nina is asking you, or whoever wrote this, is asking you to tell your own story. 
And so, you know, take out that little directive and put in a couple paragraphs with your own story of how cutting carbohydrates helped you uh, either lose weight, diabetes, heart disease, whatever it is, how it helped you. I'll add a link to the show notes uh, of John Ioannidis in Zurich doing this presentation. Oh, great. Um, because it really, it, it, it's well worth it. If you are interested in how we got so um, messed up with the science, um, this is a great presentation. And if you look uh, sort of towards about, think I think maybe 40 or so minutes in, uh, during Tim Spector's question, you'll actually see me uh, sitting behind him, about two rows behind him. So uh, look for that little Easter egg. <laughs> I know Carrie's dying to ask you about what you've cooked lately, and uh, I'll, I'd like to hear as well. I mean, are you sticking to the, are you being more adventurous these days, less adventurous, relying on your old canon of recipes? Um, anything new that you found in the kitchen? Um, I've actually been very boring. I'm eating mostly meat with a little bit of vegetable in my meals. Mm. Uh, I, I really enjoyed going vegetarian for a month and I also enjoyed going carnivore for a month. Mm. But I think I missed meat during the month of ovo-lactober. I missed meat less than I missed vegetables during the month of carnivember. Mm. So, so, Richard, when you say missed, is that mm. – is that a taste bud thing or is that a, my body was craving veggies? So what, what explain mist to me. So I, I missed uh, in the preparation of the food, the, 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 the moment where I would add vegetables to a meal or add meat to a meal. And when I saw the meal on the plate, it wasn't that I said, you know, there's something missing. Um, but it was just that, you know, I would have liked some vegetables. I would have liked just a little bit of asparagus with this, uh, this ham or, mm. you know, <laughs> I would have loved just a little bit of, um, uh, a little bit of bacon with this egg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's so, a flavor yeah. thing. That's a texture flavor. Yeah. I experience of eating thing rather than, uh, your body saying, where's my vegetables or. Well, it could be both, yeah. couldn't it? Well, there is a um, thing where where if 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 the if there's not enough green on the plate, you feel like oh, it just needs something green on it, and and mm. that is that. Gary Taub says this about you know he eats vegetables because his mother wanted him to eat vegetables, yeah, and yeah. I think that's the case. We we do carry along with us um, you know preconceived notions about food, and and you know for me one of the things was always finishing everything on my plate. Mm. Uh, so I find it very difficult to not eat everything on my plate, even once I've reached satiety. And I mm -hmm. think that's one of the things that you that I, that I have to practice. But um, as far as vegetables go, uh, I I don't. I don't have to have them, and I don't have to have meat, but I like to eat both. I'm an omnivore when it comes down right. to it, and that's really what I feel. Not only did I feel better when I went back to an omnivorous pattern, I felt more comfortable. I felt more um, of my food. I felt more, uh, you know, yeah, mm. within my environment. So uh, I just think sometimes yeah. it can be difficult for people, and I know this is something that I often wonder about, mm. is whether the – the desire to eat certain things is is driven by a my body telling me you're missing out on these nutrients or you're missing out on this or whether it's just my brain saying I like the sensation of that flavor or I like mm. the sensation of that texture or so I just and I'm sure there's a, a ton of our listeners out there that have the same thing that they're missing something but they're not sure whether that's a physical need or a, just a sensory emotional need 
as I said, I think it, I don't know what you think, Richard, but I think it can be both. In other words, I think mm-hmm. that we filter what our body wants through the the lens of making a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. And no matter what it comes to, um, you know, our body hurts. Oh, I really want to put a Band-Aid on. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm, I'm ha- I have stress. Oh, I really want a beer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think that we, we always interpret what the body wants through what we think we need. I don't know. It's just kind of creepy to think that, you know, the body is just a, a vehicle that gets the head around from place to place. You yeah. Know? Well, <laughs> when you think about it, there are some things that you need like salt. You know right. you crave more salty food. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, that's a very simple one. But uh, uh, let's say that you lowballed your protein for a couple of days. And I've done this experiment where for a, a month before uh, Breckenridge last year, I lowballed my protein for the whole month to to exactly what the, the, the nutrient reference values mm. were, which is uh, 0.8. Uh, grams per kilogram. Mm. And uh, the interesting thing about that was I didn't eat exactly the same amount every day. I sort of went up some days, down the other days, but I averaged that 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 amount. But on days when I was low, I'd get a craving for umami foods. Like, you know, I really wanted some, some stinky cheese mm. on some uh, seaweed, on some roasted seaweed with some Vegemite on it. You right. Know, that... And that was, I believe, and without any evidence to to prove it, I believe that uh, that that was a a hunger for a nutrient that I was missing, which was essentially was protein. And so, uh, so I think if you lowball certain nutrients, you definitely get um, uh, you you certainly get a, a hunger specifically for them. I don't think mm. you get generally hungry when you are necessarily low on one nutrient. Like I don't think you get generally hungry when you are low on salt, for example, mm. um, or, uh, or, you know, on, or on protein or, or you know, on, uh, on uh, the, probably the one exception because it is very critical is when you first, uh, uh, when you first go low carb, I think you do get cravy for, for glucose. For sugar yes. and starch, because yeah. because your blood sugar goes low and you and you and you, you your body is associated that with uh, uh, with a danger signal that that that, that requires glucose. But um, this idea that um, that we uh, this sort of protein leverage hypothesis, um, I I I think that's pretty much been debunked. So um, the, the idea that when we need protein, we eat fat, uh, you know. Yeah, I I look at it, I, I look at it this way. If you could. How how could you study this with taking conscious thought or language out of the picture? Well, look at animals. Hmm. So you look at what animals do when they have a, a deficiency. You know they will they will tend to eat the things. I, I just a simple example is is uh, when a dog doesn't feel well, it goes out and eats grass. And or a cat, and you can tell. Well, why is that dog eating grass? You know, I don't really know what their deficiency is or what it's going to do to them, but somehow the bot their body knows if I eat grass, that something will happen. I think it's in a metic. It makes them upchuck. Yeah, you may be right. So I think something funny in my belly. I'll go eat some grass, and it'll make me upchuck and and get rid of it, whatever it is. But there, there, there's examples of like elephants sort of licking certain rocks. 
Mm. For if they have magnesium deficiency or sodium deficiency, they'll eat speci- they'll lick specific rocks. Interesting. Um, so that so there that does exist in the in in the animal world. But you can't extrapolate. I just think that it's something that we've lost as humans. Is we've it, it's become very grey for us to be able to discern like an animal does what we actually need versus mm. what we might just emotionally want if you see what yeah. I mean. So I think this conversation is useful for to help people or to make them start thinking about, okay, am I eating this or that because my body needs it or am I mm. eating this or that because it's just emotionally driven mm-hmm. or because it's something I enjoy the taste and texture of. Just being aware I think can help a lot. Agree. Yeah, this is something that St- Stephen Guyane uh, talks about a lot. And he's uh, apparently going to be on a podcast with Gary Taubes with Joe Rogan upcoming, which will be interesting mm. because those are two alternating viewpoints. And Stephen Guyane's idea is that we, uh, that we, it's basically the brain is overriding desire uh, need for nutrients so the brain you know gets uh, suckered in by the bliss point of food and it gets suckered in by hyper hyper processed food and and we've, we've broken our ability to be able to turn off hunger and Gary Taubes's uh, thesis is that when you get uh, the derangement of uh, foods that produce a lot of insulin out of the picture um, you get adequate uh, energy coming in and your hunger goes down and you know these are two different ways of looking at at the same at the same problem and 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 the same experiment produces this you know the the the, the same experiment essentially um uh, va- will validate both sides and so um mm. this is something where you have to be very specific to do science to to show one or the other and and mm. so far it hasn't been done i mean there are hints like the, uh, david ludwig's uh uh, recent study that showed that uh, that people on people who've lost weight who are on a lower carb diet, the lower carb they were, the higher the metabolic rate was, which indicated that they're um, they're able to access more energy um, uh, when they're on a low carb state, which is mm. sort of explaining Gary Taubes's um, uh, hypothesis. So, um, but this is all really early days, and the problem sure. is that. Nobody wants to do the real expensive science. The NIH certainly doesn't want to fund the expensive science in looking at low carbohydrate um, diets because our nutrient um, uh, standards, <laughs> bring this all back to Nina Teicholz and the Nutrition Coalition, our dietary guidelines um, are perverted towards um, a failing diet that is continuing to fail. And all of the research is being done to look at uh, high-carb diets and not uh, look at low-carb alternatives. I once heard somebody say, uh, who was clearly out of control in metabolic um, resistance, insulin resistance and all of this, I don't eat because I'm hungry, I eat because I'm emotional. And I, th- mm. I, I thought about that and, and what Carrie was saying too about do we, do we crave something because you know we just want it. Well, that is a real craving, um, and if you think about the emotional craving, is to satisfy serotonin levels and all of the 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 brain stuff that Richard was talking about. Well, Stephen Guinea was talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it so it it is a biological response, but uh, as you said, that the brain has sort of hijacked the pleasure centers, and it, mm. it's really not for nutrition that the rest of the body needs, and it will in fact derange the body. 
it's our hyper palatability. That's yeah. The, that's the thing. Yeah. I was just excited to hear you say you miss vegetables because with all the <laughs> carnivory going on, sometimes I feel like I'm lo- I'm like this waving this lone flag for leeks. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and cauliflower. So I was really excited to hear you say you missed asparagus. No, I well, see. I I think that carnivory is a, is is two things. It's both a fad and a, an interesting intervention for for. For some people, and I think keto was the same when it first came out. Mm. You could look at keto and see all of the people who were, you know, eating low calorie versions of ketogenic foods or eating keto bars and keto cookies and you know all this kind of stuff. That was the fad part of the of the ketogenic diet. The real part, the real nutritional ketosis part of it, the you know uh, fat to satiety on a well formulated ketogenic diet. That was uh, an intervention that was that was very successful at turning around type two diabetes in mm-hmm. a lot of people, um, and I think if you look at carnivore now, there is a fad part of carnivore where there are a lot of people who've been keto for five, six, seven years, all of a sudden saying, you know, "I'm a bit bored with this keto thing. I'm going to try fasting, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lurch towards carnivore." Um, but there are people for whom carnivore. Um, like Amber O'Hearn, yeah, people, and, and and Sean Baker, for whom carnivore has been, um, you know, a godsend. And so, it's hard sometimes to differentiate the uh, the fad from the fact. And I, you know, I I always say there there are some people like given like Amber, mm-hmm. who's a great example, who just feels so much better when she's strict carnivore. Right. But that's not me. I don't mm. feel. I have actually lately I've been pretty much carnivore. I mm. am literally dreaming about vegetables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, but I also it's not just that I miss the taste and textures. I yeah. actually do not feel as well physically when I don't have an amount of of green vegetable stuff in my diet. Mm-hmm. So again, mm. I think it's one of those things where you need to find out what makes you perform and physically feel best and, and do that, you know, experiment for yourself. I know that carnivory is probably not hurting me but i don't feel as good so mm. that's not for me yeah i think to a certain degree we adapt to whatever we eat um and this is the case with the gut biome uh, a lot of the gut biome experiments are not so much measuring what you have in your gut but what you have in your gut after whatever it is that you've been eating recently mm. and so a good example of this is uh for example going on a, a carnivore carnivorous diet um for a lot of people try carnivore and their guts aren't used to moving that much meat through their guts and mm. they feel awful and so they go back to vegetables and in some cases uh people who've been carnivore push through and then they feel wonderful. And I, I, I did this with fibre. I used to have to mm-hmm. add fibre in because I was terrified that if I didn't get my 30 grams of fibre a day, I was in trouble. Yep. And so when I first went keto for the first year almost, I would drink a shake every night of uh, that had silly mask in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an Atkins shake. So it was a low-carb chocolate, horrible whey-based thing with silly mask. And I would drink it religiously every night uh, for – regularity Uh, and then somebody said to me you know you really don't need fiber Um, and they spoke to me about magnesium and said you know if you supplement magnesium you might find that you know you'll have a little bit of constipation then it'll go away and you'll be perfectly regular Mm. well for the past four years I I haven't 
gone out of my way to supplement fiber in my diet. And uh, it, that was exactly the case for me. My body acclimated to that. So, so it could be two things. Same here, Richard. And if you think about it, the, the stuff that people like to eat food-wise as fiber usually contains a lot of magnesium. Yeah, that's true. Leafy green vegetables. Yeah, one of the things about fiber, one of the funny things about fiber is that um, we tend to find that people who eat a lot of fiber uh, have a lower risk of colorectal cancer, so cancer of the lower part of the gut. And what happens to that fiber when it gets to that part of your gut, we don't digest it ourselves. It, this, it goes straight through our system because we don't have the enzymatic machinery to be able to crack these these uh, complex carbohydrates into glucose so that we can use them for energy. But they get down to our gut and our gut biome, our bacteria in our gut, are able to turn these into energy. And in the process, they produce short-chain fatty acids and those essentially butyrate, which is the, one of the shortest of the chains. Uh, that butyrate is a four-chain fatty acid basically goes into our gut cells. And the first thing that our gut cells do with this butyrate is they convert it into beta-hydroxybutyrate. A ketone. So our gut cells are literally making ketones. <laughs> from fiber. Be from fiber. Now, when you think about it, where does fiber come from? I mean, the, the, the husk of the wheat comes, or the bran of the wheat, uh, that comes with a serving, a giant serving of starch. So when you in nature, if you were to eat that that wheat grain, you're going to be getting the fiber from the grain, but you're also going to be getting the starch. So what happens when you know fifteen thousand, eleven thousand years ago we went through the um, the agricultural revolution and all of a sudden learned to create starches? All of a sudden we were kicked out of ketosis by these starches. So we've we've evolved a mechanism uh, for making ketones in our gut because we were knocked out of ketosis from all the starch isn't that so, interesting there's a head scratcher that is that's pretty awesome <laughs> so what's next what do you i mean you, you're working on you're getting ready for school and all of that stuff a lot of hard work all the yeah, hard work a lot of hard work <laughs> what's the what's the the very next thing that you're going to uh well, before school to. happens, in fact, the first week of school, I'm going to Denver to the low-carb conference in Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, the day I come back, I'm straight into practicals and I'm straight into the labs and I'm, I'm, I'm working as hard as I possibly can. In fact, at Denver, I'm probably going to be still uh, doing lectures online and stuff like this. So, um, wow. yeah, so you might not see me for, <laughs> for some time, so I'll have to go off and do, a, do an, a, an online exam or something. But the, uh, then after Denver, um, I've got obviously a, a whole semester. And then during my mid-semester break, uh, we have Keto Fest in July. Mm -hmm. And then the day – so Keto Fest is on the weekend of the 21st and the 20th of July. Mm -hmm. And on the 22nd of July, my second semester starts. <laughs> So, wow! So I literally have to fly back straight after Keto Fest to to get to yeah. school again. So and talking about Keto Fest, people have started asking us all over the place on social media, "When's Keto Fest? When's the launch?" So I'm in the show notes. We're gonna put a link to the the notification sign up. So you right. just uh, pop your email into that form, and that will ensure that as soon as we announce the start of the Keto Fest launch, you will know about it. And we're shooting for yeah. February 18th on that. For the Kickstarter to start. For the so Kickstarter. February 18th to the March 18th. 
Yeah. And uh, so uh, everybody will have the opportunity to uh, to kickstart Keto Fest. We're going to do that again, like we do every year. Yep. Um, and because I mean, Keto Fest has always been listeners listener supported. Um, Absolutely. In fact, that everything Keto dudes have done has been listener supported yes. from big listeners and small. So yep. um, if Keto Fest happens, it may not happen. We may not reach our Kickstarter goal. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see me in Connecticut. Uh, that's how, because that's going to pay for my plane ticket, <laughs> among right. other things. Right. I want to see you in Connecticut. Sure. I'll be in Connecticut if the Kickstarter is funded. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Richard, thanks very much for catching up with us. Oh, you're welcome, Carl and Carrie. All uh, right. Good luck with the podcast. You guys are, are kicking goals. I, I listened to the, the Yogi the Trucker. Yeah, uh, that was great, wasn't it? Smarter than your average bear boo-boo. <laughs> 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 right. Definitely. I wouldn't have thought to make a smoker out of a pressure cooker, that's for sure. No, and out of an aluminum can? Yeah. Yeah, that's some serious MacGyver stuff. Yeah. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Been a pleasure. Ciao. See ya. You know, I can't wait to hear what Richard uh, is working on when he starts debunking this science and doing these videos. I just can't wait. It's always fascinating to me seeing the paths that other people choose to take and the things that light their inner fires. Mm. Not my cup of tea at all, but I love seeing the passion and the things that make Richard tick. Yeah, it's very cool. All right, uh, Carrie, I think uh, our listeners are getting a little hungry, maybe, and they want to hear one of your uh, recipes. Recipes. You want a recipe, Carl? Yes, please. Okay, well, let's do a recipe then. All right. And this one is, I came up with this because sometimes when you're keto, a plate of bacon and eggs, however fabulous that is, can get a little old. So I wanted to come up with a new way of doing bacon and eggs that one was different and two, portable, and three, able to be made in advance, also eaten hot or cold. So So not in a paper bag? (laughs) Not (laughs) in a paper bag. Um, So I called it baked cheese and bacon pie. Oh. The link will be in the show notes as always, but I'll walk you through it now. Okay. It has a prep time of just 10 minutes. And you can make it the night before and cook it in the morning or you can cook the whole thing at a different time and eat it cold. So this is a super cool way to eat your bacon and eggs. So here we go. You're going to need some coconut oil spray or avocado oil spray, whatever you prefer. Mm -hmm. You're going to need five eggs, a quarter of a cup of heavy cream, a quarter of a cup of water, four ounces of bacon, eight ounces of riced cauliflower, four ounces of grated mozzarella, four ounces of full-fat cottage cheese, two teaspoons of dried oregano, half an ounce of scallions or green onions or spring onions or whatever you Mm -hmm. folks call them. You're going to need some ground black pepper and one ounce of grated cheddar cheese. Nice. And here's what you're going to do. So all ingredients that you probably have at home already. Um, You're going to spray a baking dish 
with coconut or avocado oil and at the same time you're going to preheat the oven to 325F. Okay. In a large bowl, you're going to whisk the eggs, cream and water very well and then stir in the chopped bacon, the cauliflower, the grated mozzarella, the cottage cheese, the dried oregano, the onions and pepper. And you're going to mix that all together really well until it's completely combined. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to pour that mixture into a grease baking dish. I used a nine inch dish but it doesn't really matter if it's bigger or smaller. Mm -hmm. It will just be a bit thicker or thinner. Then you're going to sprinkle the whole top of it with grated cheddar and you're going to pop it in the oven for 50 to 60 minutes until it's golden brown. Wow. And that's it. Super simple, super fast, um, and a great way to get bacon and eggs on the go and or bacon and eggs that you don't have to you can just come get up in the morning and pop this in the oven you can you could prep it make it the night before get up pop it in the oven when you get up in the morning and have it hot then that sounds um, or you great can make it all the night before and have it cold in the morning either way it's really really good yum that sounds so, great super simple super fast and by all accounts super delicious excellent <laughs> yeah i I, I prefer to make my bacon and eggs, you know, the the old fashioned way. But um, but quiches and which is kind of what this almost sounds like a quiche uh, are also delicious. And you can put whatever kind of ingredients you feel like in there. But there's usually bacon or ham and cheese and eggs at least. I like the cauliflower. That's a good addition. Yeah, I'm gonna have to try that. One of the things I love about this is that it makes it so portable. Right. So for those of you who do not have time for the whole bacon and egg thing mm. in the morning, however delicious it is, particularly during the week, this is a great something that you can whip up alongside dinner the night before. Yeah. Pop it in the oven. When you get up in the morning, you just pack up a couple of slices and take it with you. Yeah. And uh, you can eat it in the car. You can eat it at your desk when you get to work. You can pop it in the microwave to eat it hot, or you can just eat it cold. I like it. Thanks, Carrie. That's a show. If you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research that you've found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at 2ketodudes. Make sure you use the hashtag two keto dudes and of course if you want to join the free ketogenic forum it's forum.2keto.com and you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting at success.2keto.com also check out our facebook group the keto kitchen if facebook is your thing and if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce please consider making a pledge on our patreon page at patreon.2keto.com and you can also see our podcasts and other videos on youtube at youtube.2keto.com and if you haven't already go leave a review on apple podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do two keto dudes is brought to you by two keto llc who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications Keep calm and keto on. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carrie. And we'll see you next time on Two, Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.